Uh, yeah, Luke, Luke hit it right. I don't know exactly where I am. I feel like I'm like standing in a cloud right now, but um, got home on Friday night around 11.30 p.m. after 30 hours of traveling. Um, and that's not an exaggeration, 30 hours uh, from the time I left my apartment in Lebanon to here. And uh, had a, we had a, a medical emergency in the air, so we had to land in Seattle and do all these things. And But I'm home, and it feels so good to be home. Um, I knew this morning, um, actually, we were like, Luke was like, do you want to share next week? And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And then I was thinking... I'm going to get asked 80 times today, how was your trip? And so I need to do this now because, um, and it's so hard to answer that question in one conversation. How was your trip? Uh, well, it's three weeks in the Middle East. How do I answer it? It was great. All right. See ya. Thanks. Good talk. Um, but no, if you guys want to hear like more stories, please, this week we're not, like Luke said, most things are canceled and I'll be around the, the church and I'd love to. Uh, share some coffee and tell you some awesome stories of what happened. But I do have about five minutes just to share what the what the Lord did this uh, on this trip. And um, I know that I was sent from the second. I mean, you heard from Luke. I got to listen to part of the announcements and uh, message uh, over the Sundays, and because it's like right in the middle of the message, like. Luke will just stay in one position and he's glitched for like, like two hours and you're like, oh, we don't have electricity. And um, I got stuck in an elevator like the second day for a good half an hour, no big deal. Um, uh, because I didn't know, I, like, yeah. Anytime it's like close to the hour, the top of the hour, uh, you don't want to be in an in a <laughs> elevator because it's good chance it's just going to stop. And so, um, but yeah, we had... 12 hours of electricity, which right now is a lot. Um, and so, it, you know, Luke would always mention, Adam texted me at like three in the morning. That's because that's when I had electricity. So, um, but it was obvious that God's hand was on this trip. Um, as Luke said uh, a couple weeks ago, going through security was, a, was ridiculous. Typically, it would take several hours um, to go through where you have to fill out custom forms and immigration forms. They didn't even have forms to fill out. I got off the plane. I was nervous. I went up to the thing. As soon as I walked up to the, the one guy, I knew I didn't want to go to that guy because he looked sketchy, and the people that he had took like 20 minutes to get through. I walked up to him, and as soon as I got up to him, his friend came over, and he just kind of looked at me. He goes, what's your address and phone number? I held up my phone. He's like, oh, go, just go, go. Oh, all right. <laughs> so I just went, went. And... Uh, and I got this big old bag full of meds, and I, and I have to go through one, one more checkpoint, and you usually scan your bags, and for some reason, the, the scanner was like not on, and the guy's just waving people through, and I was like, I got a lot of drugs in my bag, but I'm, <laughs> all right, here we go. So, uh, um, so we made it through and made it to Demore, and I was kind of discouraged that I knew I was going to have to quarantine for 24 hours. To get before I got my COVID results, and those 24 hours were some of the most rich times. I got to spend the entire 24 hours with our friend Yasser, and God knew um, that 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 was going to be important. And those 24 hours, I got to meet this. Uh, this might not mean much to you guys, but I got to meet two of his sisters that were actually in Lebanon. Um, and I've shared this before that Leb that. Uh, Yasser's family 
um, found out that he is is a believer. And his oldest brother basically said that you're dead to us, and if we ever see you, we're going to kill you. How it is now is four of his siblings are completely supportive of him and of his decision. Three of them are pretty neutral, and then four of them, four of them still don't believe they have a brother, his oldest brother and a few others. But his, his sister that he hasn't seen in 10 years was there sitting in his apartment, and we got to share with her. And one of the most special things ever for me was at the very end, and I, I, if I knew I was going to be sharing this morning before I got here, um, I would have brought it. But I got presented from Yasser and, and his family and several others um, a box. And in the box, you open it up, and it, it's basically a letter opener. Kind of interesting gift. Um, but the end of it has this bird that's kind of carved out of bone and has a brass and some special metals in it. And it has this paper, and it's from the Haddad family. And the Haddad family basically has been creating these, um, these gifts since the 1700s. And um, he gave it to me on behalf of, like, all these people. And the history is that they're given to heads of states. So when Donald Trump was in the Middle East, that's what the, their president gave to him. And they're given to heads of states. And basically, it was a gift of honor saying that, how the way, uh, the way that they view me was as if um, royalty was coming. And, of course, I didn't really last very long, and I was crying over this. And for me, that, to receive that gift, it's going to sit in my office, and it, but it, it's a sign that, man, we carry this royal authority when we go. And I truly took that with me, um, believing that, man, when we walk if we walk in the authority that we have because of Jesus Christ, we are royalty. And man, I, so I look at that and I say, you know what, I am, I am the president. <laughs> I do have authority. And you know what, the Lord used it and it was the perfect time to go. The country is hurting. And for me, as with American eyes, I, all I saw was there was less restaurants at first. I got to go into Beirut and I got to hang out there for a little bit. And it was a whirlwind. I'll be honest. I wish I could have been there maybe for one more week just to be able to pace myself a little bit. But because there were days where I was speaking three times and I'm meeting with people and I'm, I'm like, man, I don't know how I'm doing this because uh, I was tired. And there's a spirit of exhaustion over there. I met with Jihad and with Yasser and several others and they're just tired. And they know it's not just a physical tired. It's a spiritual tiredness. And so um, my last day, I got to meet with uh, Jihad up in the mountains and got to pray with him and um, different things. And it's so hard just to fill it all, all in. But I got to do every single thing I wanted to do. I got to meet with every person I wanted to meet. There were a few more I wish I could have met with. But I got, and the, even that, that village that me and Jihad went to, I didn't tell anybody this, but I, in my head I was thinking, it's the one place I want to go that I probably won't be able to go. And when Jihad's like, hey, we're going to lunch today, we had a million restaurants right there. He goes, but I'm going to take you somewhere special. And it was the exact place I wanted to go. So God knew everything. And, but I do want to share one story. And we have a good friend. His name's Mahmoud. And Mahmoud comes from a very large 
Muslim family, and they're very extreme Muslims. But God had been doing something huge in this man's life for a long time. And Yasser and myself were discipling him for several years, and he made a decision to follow the Lord. And on the very last night, two hours before I was um, set to like go to bed and, and, and wake up and, and come to the airport, we took him out. And Mahmoud, the only way I can describe it was he looked like a, he, he was like a beaten puppy. He was just, he wouldn't even look at me in the eyes. And his father had basically stripped everything from him, said he can't do any Christian meetings, go to anything. And the Lord put on my heart, and I want to share that every single meeting I went to, um, the Lord gave me the perfect thing to say to people and the perfect opportunity. Um, I was sharing um, with uh, Sue, Tasha, um, about one of the meetings I wanted to speak on, First Peter, and the Lord kept saying, no, I want you to speak on Daniel 3. And I was like, Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's so elementary. These are like full-time missionaries. They need, they need meat. And, Dan, and, and, so, and then the Lord's like, Daniel 3, trust me. So finally, I spoke on Daniel 3, and I've been speaking for a long time, for 20 years, and it was, the, it was the most inspirational message I've ever given. And Jihad said, that was the most timely message you, you don't even believe, couldn't even believe how timely that was. And so I'm sitting there across this guy who's, who's Mahmoud and just looking down, he won't look at me, and he's just broken. And I just said, Mahmoud, I said, it doesn't matter if you can go to church. It doesn't matter if you can go to meetings. The word of the Lord is in your heart. I said, I said you prayed the prayer to invite Jesus into your heart. Do you believe that he's still there? And he goes, yes, I believe he's still there. I said, that's all that matters right now. You have to honor your father and mother, but your father in heaven is pleased by your work, by your service. You need to believe that. And he started to light up a little bit. And as me and Yasser started to drive him home, I'm going to get through this. As we started to drive home, I said, Mahmoud, I want you to pray right now. Pray what's on your heart. And he started to pray. And you know what he prayed for? He prayed for healing for Troy Hart. He has everything in the world against him. There's nothing good right now in his life that he prayed for healing for our friend, Troy Hart. That was it. And I was sitting there, I was sobbing. I said, man, that's the spirit of the Lord. I said, you have the spirit of the Lord. And he looked completely different when we dropped him off. And so for me, in this timing and going, I want you to know that now I, use, I always come back and I share stories to the church and I say, thank you, you were part of this. Every single thing from the prayer chain to Pastor Luke asking to people on Instagram and Facebook or Messenger asking me how things were going, how can I be praying? It was inspired, this trip. And I'm so tired right now. <laughs> I could keep, but I, but I am so pumped up. And you know what? When I was sitting on that plane, I wasn't thinking about, man, I wish I, 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 wish I could still be there. I was thinking about, you know what? I'm excited to go back and do, and do YAG. I'm excited to come serve. I'm excited to be a part of Celebrate Recovery. I'm excited to do a, a clothing drive to serve our community. Because you know what? 
My heart is always going to be in Lebanon. I've got the, some coordinates actually tattooed on my arm that are in Lebanon, but this is home, and it feels good to be home. And so let me, let me pray for, for this trip and pray for our morning and, and this clothing drive. I, I really, really do. Um, I know there's several different agencies that are doing clothing drives as well, but I love how generous this church is. I've got 30 turkeys in the back of my truck right now. How cool is that? And I'm going to drive them to the storage unit as soon as I leave and put them in the fridge. And, you know, we get to bless this community. But you know what? One thing, I got off that plane, and it's cold. It's cold. And there's some people in our, our community that are cold. And, and we're going to warm them up. So let's start bringing some coats in. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you that we get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Father, I thank you so much that I could travel 8,000 miles and be in the Middle East and pray with brothers and sisters, and they're lifting up our body. They're praying for our body. They're praying for our pastor, our friend Troy. They're praying for our leaders here and say, God, send revival to Newport. I thank you. And so, Father, in return, we say, send revival to Lebanon. Heal your land, Father. Many people said that their only hope is in this election coming up in March. And we know that their only hope is in you. And so, Father, we ask that you pour out your glory on that place. Send revival. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Amen. Thanks, Adam. President Adam Durkin. I could get used to that. Now take your Bibles now and open up to Colossians 2. And as Adam was sharing about uh, how God put him there in that environment, exhaustion, overwhelmingness, ministering to people that have a spirit of exhaustion and, and tiredness. I mean, you can relate a little bit. Even there's days I go through and I'm doing what I do for Jesus, and I just feel so overwhelmed, so outnumbered, so outgunned. And to think that the Lord would say, hey, teach him out of Daniel 3. Daniel 3, you know, we do that flannel graph, you know, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And yet I'm always and constantly considering how God was sovereign in the affairs of the children of Israel and, and the difficulties, and even how God sent to Daniel and his buddies there in Babylon the writings of Jeremiah. He sent them, he said, I encourage them, even while, while they're there, because we can look around our country and we can look around your situation and maybe you've got uh, something wrong with your physical body. It's like, oh my gosh, it's over, it's over, where's the Lord? Or maybe your marriage didn't, didn't work out the way you wanted, it's like, oh my gosh, it's over. Maybe you lost a loved one and things are just confusing or you're, or you're, you're in debt or, oh my gosh, it's all over. And yet it's never over. It's never over. And this is what gives us the eyes of faith and which gives us the courage of heaven and which gives us the love of Jesus. And so, man, what, what a profound uh, truth for each and every one of us to cling to, to look to. So, so, so thank you guys for uh, sending Adam over there with prayer, with love and support, and for then bringing him back and then getting right, uh, right to work right away. Hey, Adam, you're the turkey guy. Go, go move the turkey. So uh, we're just going to switch, switch it up and keep going. Hey, two more announcements I forgot uh, that are happening here. Number one is because everything's canceled this week, we're also uh, canceling for one week our uh, prayer day, which is on Thursday morning, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. It's Thanksgiving Day. It uh, doesn't mean you can't pray and shouldn't pray where you're at, so pray at your house. I dare you to get up and pray for an hour, 7 to 8, right there where you live, and just 
pray uh, with uh, supplication and thanksgiving, but don't come to the offices, otherwise you're going to be praying by yourself, which is fine too. Um, also, um, uh, can you put this picture up there? This is kind of fun. I just wanted to celebrate. This says Adopt a Highway Program. Uh, look at the people on the bottom there. What's that say? South Beach Church. So these signs just went up last week, and it's so cool. They're actually located to my left, your right, at the top of the hill, and then at the very base of the bridge right here, there's another one that says South Beach Church, Adopt a Highway, and me and my son Noah were driving out looking for those yesterday, and uh, Mayor, uh, Larry Holt, uh, it was his brainchild. He said, you know what I'd like to do is I'd like to adopt uh, the two miles here from the bridge to the top of the hill, and we clean that, I think, uh, four times per year. We get crews out there, and we just clean that stretch, and it's our way of giving back to the community. One small token of what we call local missions, and one of the things we really want to make sure that this church is guilty of, famous for, and known for is that we love God, but we also love others. And we truly want the light that God's given to us to shine before men. Uh, how many of you guys have heard of Adopt a Highway program before? Okay, we've all heard of it. You all, yeah, I just told you about it, so you guys all should have raised your hand. But uh, I was just thinking this through because Larry's sitting right here. And the reality is, is that God gives to each and every one of us, okay, a certain amount of talents, a certain amount of treasure, and a certain amount of time. He gives each one of us differently and, and variously. And yet he gives to us creatively and uniquely as well. And somebody will come to me at any given time and say, I think I want to do this, right? I see that. And, and God gives you that vision and that hope, that purpose. And I just, I mean, I just, we've all heard of Adopt a Highway. Any one of us could have done that. And yet God put it on Larry's heart. And I've been, uh, I was going to say dealing with Larry. That's not the wrong way. I've been working with Larry through that. And it hasn't always been easy. I'm just going to go ahead, and as, as it gets more complicated a few times, Larry said, you know, it's just, I, I just don't think this is going to work. I'm just going to kind of let this vision go. And I said, no, no, don't let it go. Keep going. Keep going. I just want to say I appreciate you for doing that. It's just one small way of letting our light shine before men that they see what God is doing in our hearts and glorify him. So um, I think one of the signs already got taken down and stolen on the other side of town. I'm not sure about that, but we'll see. So anyways, you can take that, that picture down if it's not down already. Take your Bibles now. Open up to Colossians 2. I've said you that a bunch of times. Here's the deal, though. I want to give a little bit of time today to another building update. This would be week three of building updates. I gave kind of a big update uh, two weeks ago uh, by way of encouraging our body because we had an outside uh, person who heard about our Project. He heard about our situation that the city of Newport owns this building. We do not own it, and we will be homeless in about a year. They're going to demolish this building, so we need to be uh, very um, active in the way we are leaving and finding new places. We've been doing that for eight years, though, looking for land. And so we are trying, uh, trusting the Lord and looking forward to what God has. In the last three weeks, less than three weeks, $380,000 has come in, listen, from outside the body. Okay, can, you can clap. It's okay. How many of you guys think that's a lot of money? Raise your right hand. That's a lot of money. And I want to say that to encourage you. As a matter of fact, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he was looking at our plans. You can put the picture of the building up that we're intending to design. And I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said, Luke, you're going to have a school there, right? I said, yeah, we're going to have a school. And he looked at the blueprints also, and he said, it's not big enough. He said, it's not big enough. He said, in order for the school to be successful, it has to be bigger. And so he said, so I want you to know I'm sending another $100,000 in the mail right now. It's coming in the mail. And he said, just by the way, you can clap. It's okay. You can clap. It's a good thing to clap for. And as a, as a leader in the church here, and as a, one who's listening to the Lord and wanting to be led by the Lord, and we're doing this as a family, I want to encourage you that God has already begun to move us in this direction. A lot of questions have come up. We had intended to order the building from a, a company, steel manufacturing company, a couple weeks ago. It, it, does, it, does, it doesn't happen that quickly. It's not like Amazon where you put it in your cart, you know, and use the credit card you found in the parking lot. It doesn't work that way. And so... Um, <laughs> 
or that way either. So what we're doing is we're just by way of update, we're continuing the design phase um, as we uh, have our architects working. Um, uh, I'm not going to say around the clock, but they are working uh, to make sure that the building is improving. Some of the most recent changes is uh, in the kids' wing. If you haven't seen the blueprint, it's at the offices right now. Uh, we have decided to make it bigger by way of two stories, just like we have in this building here. So right above our kids' wing and kitchen, there'll be two stories, which almost doubles our square footage for our Sunday school classes and for the school that's coming up. So instead of making a footprint that's bigger and costly in that way, we're just going to go up. And uh, so that's happening. Also, we're picking up our bus. I don't know if you have a picture of the bus handy. We're picking this bus up this week. Uh, this bus was purchased for us for this school uh, two weeks ago. So we're picking that up this week and having here. Are you, yeah, you can clap for that, Mike. It's, it's, it's clap worthy. And what we really need is prayer. We've been doing that, though. I mean, if you've been going to church here for these last eight years, it's been so fun to watch the Lord lead us and guide us and provide. I talked to one of my friends yesterday. We were in the parking lot, and he said, what about this building? Can't we just buy this building? I was like, man, I, I don't know. You know, we've talked to, talked to the city three or four times, because some people would like to keep this building. I mean, it leaks in all the right places, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just got so much, so many other things, you know. And, and, and I've talked to the city. They said, no, we don't want you here. The city that the, uh, the money that the city borrowed to purchase this for the urban renewal uh, had some stipulations within it that when they sell, it would be to a tenant that would have tax roll increase uh, for the city. It's kind of the whole deal. It's an urban renewal, kind of a stimulus project for them. And churches don't really bring any more uh, stimulus in that way by way of taxes because we're uh, tax exempt in that way. So be that as it may, we're looking and we're trusting the Lord's going to guide us. So I need prayers number one, that God would give us that land that we've been looking at, that we've been identifying. There's a few things that uh, need to uh, be settled uh, this month for that land to then become available uh, to purchase. So pray that the land would settle. If you guys are pray, writing this stuff down and considering it. Uh, also, uh, pray about how you might partner with us in the future, because this is going to be an AHOD event, all hands on deck. This is going to be all of us moving together, uh, using whatever God has given to us, time, talent, and treasure to make this happen. I think it was about six years ago, I was in that room, there's a room there in that little door, and I was with uh, uh, six other pastors from up and down the Oregon coast, about six years ago, and I remember we were doing prayer requests, and it was my turn, they said, Luke, what do you need prayer for? And I said, well, to be honest, I said, I have to build a church, and I don't want to. I said, I'm going to, because I'm not a baby, I'll do it, but I don't want to do it. I said, I'd rather just preach the gospel and see the church grow, but, I, but we're being forced out, and this one pastor, his name's Phil Magnan, he's in Lincoln City, he just looked at me, and he said, Luke, this is going to be such an amazing experience. Because what's going to happen is all the people at your church, because we have a lot of people at the church here, and a lot of people that don't know each other, and a lot of people that have come here and made this their home, but they don't know anybody, and they, they have, they've all come at a, at a different time zone in, in the 10 years or 11 years we've been here. And he said, in this next journey, as you walk across this threshold of a new building and this new project, every single person is going to experience the exact same thing at the exact same time, and people are going to get to know each other, and shoulders and elbows are going to rub each other. It's going to be such a melding time for your church body to grow and to experience God's provision. As he began to say it, I was like, oh! This is going to be so fun, you know, to see it in that way. And so I want us to have that kind of expectation and anticipation at what the Lord is going to do with you and through you as we walk this journey together. So I take that now and let's pray and get into God's word and get God's word into us. Uh, we have about 30 more minutes to get into God's word. This is a record for the last couple of weeks. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We honor you. And we look to you now and ask that your word would become for us food. It would become for us fuel. Lord, it would become for us medicine for our hurts and healing, Lord. It would become instruction and, and correction, Lord. Would you bless us here in the sanctuary and those who are watching at home right now? Would you bless us? Would you bless me on stage, Lord? I, I am in the position of teaching today, but I want to be student, number one. I want to learn from you. We thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us and will guide us and direct us. Thank you for Adam, Lord, and his testimony of his trip to Lebanon and bringing him home safely, for using us in that way to change lives. 
We pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that that continued fragrance of Christ that he left there would even today be producing fruit. And Lord, even in his absence, the brothers and sisters, as they gather together, would be remembering what they learned, Lord, in, in gathering with him. And I pray that we too, Lord, would be blessed as we learn from your word today. We need you. We also pray, Lord, together for the building, that your will would be done. Lord, that you would provide according to your riches and your glory, and that you would lead us and you would use us. Lord, I pray you'd protect us from the enemy, from any kind of division, any kind of distraction, and any kind of things, Lord, that he has lined up for us. May we only sense your voice as you lead us, Lord, in the things to come in the future. Lord, we also pray for this week as the Thanksgiving dinners will go out, Lord, and people will be blessed, and may they receive. There's going to be some Bibles in those little boxes and some gospel tracts where we're going to bless people in the name of the Lord. And we're even, we even went to the store and just bought some gift cards. We just said, make sure they have some cash in, in case we forget the whipped cream or something. We're just blessing people. And I pray that that would be our heart. We're very thankful. This Thanksgiving week, Lord, may we now be blessed in your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Well, as you guys open up to second uh, chapter of Colossians, I'll remind you what I've been saying for the last 14 weeks. This book that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae is a polemic letter. That means Paul was arguing for their well-being and against heresy and untruth. He knew that the church was in a war. He knew that they were in a battle. He knew that they were in a, a skirmish. And the only way that we're going to stay in the battle and stay in the war and stay in the skirmish and keep ourselves moving forward is to have the armor of God on to know what God has told us to be and what he's told us not to be. And I want to encourage you, and I, want to, I was praying that the Lord would give me grace and compassion that this message today wouldn't come across too harsh. And then I read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I was like, oh, I just got to get on Paul's level. Did you guys read that this morning? I'm going to read to you a few verses. This is our Bible reading for the day. Paul says, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Then he says this in verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means. Now, why would he say that? Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica from Corinth. Okay, he's way off his map. He's a Jew. He's from Jerusalem, and that's where he would be, and he's seeing the deception and the chaos. He goes on to say, do you not remember when I was still with you that I told you these things, verse 5? I like that verse. You ever disciple your kids? Didn't we go over this already? Do you not know what's going on? And you're like, yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you're discipling kids, I got three in the back there. They're like little raccoons sitting back there. It's awesome. And one's upstairs. And, and you just got to rhyme, rhythm, and repetition. It's the master tools of all learning. You just got to teach your kids and teach your kids and teach your kids. And so too, when you get into the scriptures, Paul goes on. He says, he says this in verse 15. He says, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. And he goes on to say, may the Lord, our Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Go back to Colossians chapter 2 with me. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul uses that word conflict. He says it this way, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. Stop right there, eyes up here. It's a battle. And I'm going to say it this succinctly. If you don't know we're in a battle right now, chances are your prayer life has fallen to the side. If you don't know we're in a battle right now, chances are you don't value the armor of God. If you don't know we're in a battle right now in the world that we live in, if you don't know we're in a war, chances are you're not running to the word, running to the instructions, running to the correction, running to the, the source. But if you do know we're in a battle, if you look around the horizon and you see, I mean, have you guys looked around the horizon recently? Have you? It's crazy. And you realize, okay, 
for such a time as this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Esther, Moses, Joseph, all talked, all called upon by God in times of battle. Look at verse 4. This is where we've been kind of camping and launching from for the last couple of weeks. He says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. The Bible actually speaks about a, a, a spirit of deception, a great delusion. It's in the same portion we just read in 2 Thessalonians. Persuasive words. We, we don't have conventional cable at our house. We don't watch TV in the, the normal fashion, but we do have a TV at our house. We have a Roku. We watch some shows. And have you noticed that when you're watching your shows or sports programs, they've been slipping commercials in? Anybody seen any commercials lately? Okay, I'm not trying to pick any fights with anybody, but as the commercials are coming through my house, we've taught our children to kind of just look away. You know, I'm kind of, that's not for me. Plug their ear. There's so in the garbage. My wife was cooking dinner last night, and a commercial came on. And she said, "Is that a commercial?" She's yelling from the living room. I'm like, "Oh, turn it off, kids. We're all in trouble." You know, and oh, you know, and what do you do? And media and entertainment, and it's all designed to be very persuasive words. And not all media, not all entertainment, not all commercials are, are negative in that way, but it's crazy. It just, it's crazy how they're starting to infiltrate and indoctrinate the whole entire world at what they believe now, what they say. This is normal. This is acceptable. This is okay. And here's what my family do. We choose to use those as teachable moments instead of just, oh man, nothing we can do about it. We, be, we then use it as a teachable moment and explain to our children what we just saw in that commercial. Did you see what they're affirming? Did you see what they're celebrating? Did you see what they're promoting? And it used to be kind of normal stuff. Remember back in the 50s, if you chewed gum in high school, you'd be expelled. Remember that back in the day? Like, you're a gum chewer, you know? And nowadays, it's, man, it's, it, the, the envelope's been pushed forward. Again, I'm not trying to pick fights with people, but I would say that there is a strong deception, a strong deception. And if you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you don't want to be picked off, you don't want to be, uh, you don't want to be uh, brought to the wrong side of thinking, you don't want to grow lukewarm in your faith. Paul gives us, I believe, some marching orders. Look at verse 6. We're kind of jumping around here. This is where we ended last week. He says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. It's really that simple. Receive the Lord Jesus and then walk with him. And you're going to cover a lot of ground. You're going to see a lot of things. You're going to be nearer to him than ever before. But the real thing that you need to ask yourself at the beginning, and this is the 9 a.m. service, so I'm not too worried about you guys. It's the 11 a.m. service I get worried about. Have you received Jesus Christ? Paul makes an assumption here. He says, as you have received Christ, so walk in him. It's a big deal. Just because you're at church doesn't mean you receive Jesus Christ. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you receive Jesus Christ. Anymore, me going to my garage makes me a car. Have you guys received Jesus? One time I was getting my hair cut. I was in Ashland, and I was right across the street from the Upper Room Coffee House, and I was getting my hair cut by this guy named Drew. And uh, Drew was a, a Buddhist at the time, and I remember my wife was there, and he was cutting my hair. And he asked me a few questions about Christianity, and he wasn't really into what I believed in. And so he asked me some controversial questions. What about this? How come you guys believe this? And he's cutting my hair, so I had to be real careful in my answer. I mean, I'm just, I don't know what he's thinking, you know. So I did my best to answer his his kind of questions. And as I was leaving, I asked my wife, I said, how did I do, babe? And, and was that a good answer, you know, theologically sound? She said, it doesn't matter. She said, it doesn't matter what you said. Because until Drew gives his life to Jesus Christ, okay, no answer will satisfy him. He's going to be stumbled by every single doctrine, every single thing that makes him mad, everything that rubs him the wrong way, every question that he has until you receive Jesus Christ. Because once you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, as your Lord, and as you bow your knee to him and honor him as he deserves to be honored... Okay, your heart's changed, your mind's changed. And then it begins to rearrange the way you think. So I just got to ask that question. If you want to not get picked off in the delusion, the strong delusion that's happening right now, it all stems back to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Start with him, 
stay with him, end with him. He goes on to give us some word pictures, though, like a good coach. He gives us a bunch of things to consider in verse 7. He says, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. He gives us five things to consider in your walk with Jesus. So if you've already received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've repented of your sins, asked him to forgive you, and you've put your faith in him, and you're going to heaven when you die, what are you going to do next? He says the first thing, rooted. Okay, roots speak of a lot of things for our lives, but the number one thing that I consider is that the roots are the hidden part of your life. I remember when I was a little kid, I'd be watering plants and watering stuff. I remember as a little kid, you're helping. And as a kid, you start to water stuff and you start to spray the leaves right away. You know, and you start to spray the flowers. Remember as a little kid, you spray the flowers and someone yells, you don't spray the flowers, you know, and like, I'm trying to help. And that's my experience only apparently. But anyways, someone taught me, you, know, you just got to water the soil, just water the soil. And that doesn't make no dang sense. Here's the leaves, here's the flower. And you don't realize that it's the roots. It's the hidden part that needs the water. And the reality is, is what we're doing here on Sunday, we're all here, and you guys see me on stage, and you might think whatever you think about that, but this isn't what makes Luke Frechette spiritual. It's the hidden stuff. And you showing up to church, and you doing whatever you do, and giving a jacket or a turkey, those are all flowers and leaves, awesome fruit, but it's the hidden part of who you are that's going to keep you from getting picked off. This is your quiet time with Jesus Christ. This is your journaling. This is your practices and disciplines of reading devotionals, reading the scriptures, memorizing verses, and, and praying. And you guys all know this. I want to encourage you in that, though. The root system, not just is it the hidden part of you, but this is the part where you get your nutrients. You ever seen a tree that's like, or a plant that doesn't look so good, you know, that's not looking good? It's because the roots need help. The roots need water. And if you're finding yourself, I just don't feel fruitful, and I don't feel like I'm beautiful spiritually, and I feel like I'm wilting, duh, you need to make sure that your roots are getting taken care of. Your roots are also not just the part that the nutrients come up, but your roots are the part that keep you from being tipped over and pushed over and blown over. When you have a tree or a plant with a weak root system and the winds of Newport come along, man, those things go right over. We actually live in a neighborhood that has a bunch of tall trees all around us. And man, those windstorms come and I just sit there and watch. I'm like, is this the day? You know, they're going over. And because of all the storms they've been through, the roots have actually gone deeper and deeper and deeper in order that they wouldn't tip over. It's your root system. It's important. The hidden person who is you. And I've been walking with the Lord for now 22 years. Back in 1999, I went to the Ashland Christian Fellowship and gave my life to Jesus Christ on January 6th, Wednesday night. I said, Lord, take me. Yeah, praise God. Lord, take my life. Do with me whatever you want. And there has been storms in my life from that very moment that have sought to topple me and take me off base and to do me in. So too, there'll be storms in the future. And let's make sure our roots are down. But not just our roots. I would say our root system is kind of that passive kind of strength that we have in Christianity. He goes on in verse 7. He says it this way, rooted and built up in him. Built up in him is a little different than rooted. Roots are going down, but a building is like a different kind of process. Any builders out there, craftsmen, anybody own a skill saw? Anybody shouldn't own a skill saw? Raise your hand. Yeah, we know. We know. And I measure three times, and even my cuts are still wrong. I don't know how to cut, man. Just, I got a problem. But I can build some stuff. You build some stuff. But when you build stuff, there's steps. Okay? And usually, if you do it right, there's blueprints and instructions. Okay? If you're going to be a real builder, I built, I built a house back in 2011. And I remember, man, the guys, I, I trusted them. They are pro builders. And they showed up. And every day, they'd be studying the blueprints. And I was like, bro, you don't know what you're doing? What's going on here? You know, go build the house. And, and it kind of surprised me that they needed to study the blueprints and do exactly as it was designed. God's given those blueprints. He's given those instructions. You guys are men of the, you guys come to the church right here, you're people of the world, otherwise you wouldn't, you go to a different church. There's other churches that don't teach the Bible. Don't ask where, I'm not going to tell you, but anyways, stay here. But not only does it take blueprints and instruction built up, but it also takes energy and effort. 
remember I had this conversation with the, the crew that was framing my house up in 2011. His name was Paul, and it was a bunch of brothers, and, and they were kind of cool. They're Amish guys from, from the valley. And I remember I was talking to him one day, and I was just, you know, I was like, what do you guys do when you're done? You guys rented a house here. Do you guys go home and, like, play board games and stuff? Like, how? And, he, and he looked at me real serious. And he's like, we go home, and we eat, and we go straight to bed. And then we wake up at 5 in the morning, we come here and build your house. And I was like, oh, sorry for talking to you, bro. I'm going to walk over here, you know. And, and, it, and, here's, and I, I did, it was hard work. These guys are swinging hammers and working hard, and they were dead tired at the end of the day. Why? Because they're building the house. And there's this interesting acceptance in your Christianity. You want to keep going? You want to keep growing? Okay, make sure your roots are down. Make sure that quiet person, that quiet hidden life is is being uh, cared for, but also make sure you're sticking into the instructions and the blueprints that God's given to us, and don't be afraid to put in some work. Don't be afraid to be built up. It's going to cost you energy and effort. He goes on, though, in verse 7, not only rooted and built up, but established in the faith. I like this part. Make sure if you want to grow and not be picked off by the delusion and the strong war that's going on around you, make sure that your faith is established. This is a legal word. It's something that they would write down in a legal term where they would say, it's established, it's done, it's been decided. I sold my uh, Tahoe a couple weeks ago to a guy in town and printed out the bill of sale and we sat there you know, and, and, and signed it all over and, and just signed it and it's, a, it's established, it's his now, it's legal. And in our Christianity, it's important that you guys have your belief system established because you're going to be challenged every single day. See, when the Newport Police Department calls me and says, Lucas, is your Tahoe? I say, never seen it. Sold. It's not mine anymore. It's established. I got a, re- I got a record of sale. Or whatever happens to you. And here's what happens in our Christianity. Satan's going to come to you. He's the accuser of the brethren. Day and night, he accuses us. And just like the very first lie that was told in the Garden of Eden, he's going to come to you and he's going to tell you lies every single day for the rest of your life. Did God really say that? That's what he said to Eve. Is God really good? Does God really have your best interest in mind? Look at your life. You're still single when you want to be married. You're still married when you want to be single. I'm just kidding. That's not, you're, you know. Look at the challenges in your life. And Satan's going to prey on you and say, is God really good? So let's establish a few things. Do you guys believe that God is for you, not against you? Believe it? Is it established? Do you guys believe that when you die and you go to, when you die and you breathe your last breath, you're going to heaven? You better establish that. When you accept Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive your sins, past, present, and future, do you believe that? You need to have these things established in your mind and your heart, otherwise you're going to find yourself in the ditch, stinking thinking, not knowing what God has already declared to be true. And people have these questions. I've been doing counseling for many, many years, and I counsel myself this little committee in my head all the time. And the Lord has given to us the affirm word of God. Paul would say it in 2 Thessalonians 2. Didn't we already talk about this stuff? Didn't I already tell you this stuff? And yet you and I need to be reminded constantly of those things that he's already told us. And if you want to be established in your faith, here, here are four principles of theology okay, that will really help you. This is like number one. Number one, there is a God. Okay, theology 101. Okay, number two, you're not him. Okay, just get that figured out. Number three, his son is Jesus. And number four, it's all about him. I mean, if you just kind of run your whole life through those grids, there is a God, you're not him, the son is Jesus, and it's all about him. You're going to find yourself navigating through the difficulties that you find yourself in. Look what he says, though, in verse 7, finally. He says, rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Two words here I want to point out. The word abounding is an important word. It's a big word. It literally means flowing torrents of living water with thanksgiving. 
This is a trip. Because Paul's talking to a church in Colossae that's going through it, and it's not going to get easier for them. And he says, if you want to stay grounded, if you want to stay fruit-producing, if you don't want to get picked off by all the deceptions, by media, entertainment, worldly ideas, okay, one of the best ways to stay in the spout, under the spout where the blessings come out is to stay grounded and abounding in thanksgiving. Now, I'm naturally a critical person. Raise your hand if you're naturally a critical person, like you're just a critical person. Okay, right now I'm criticizing you for not raising your hand high enough, you know? <laughs> but, I, but I know that about myself. My dad told me that when I was 19. He said, Luke, you have a critical spirit. He said, I know you have it because I do too, and I gave it to you. I've often wondered why and wondered how that works. I do believe that those who have a critical spirit have also an ability to then be in a leadership capacity because you see things differently. You see, th- you see how things could be. And if we just did it this way and this way, we could have this, we could, it could be this way. And, and you got to have love to cover all of that, though. I would say this. The best thing you can do if you have a critical spirit, even if you don't have a critical spirit, is to abound in your life with thanksgiving. See, most of us go through our life looking out the windshield, seeing all the things that could be or should be or aren't, and man, we're all freaked out and tense. But if you're honest, if you spend just a little bit of time looking through the back windshield or the rearview mirror and see all of God's faithfulness, have you done this before? Sure, the future's unknown. Sure, it's going to be intense. Sure, there's some stuff you've got to decide. But man, oh man, God has been faithful through thick and thin. And you have every right today to be the most joyful person. This is a discipline and a practice, though. It's interesting, Paul uses this word abounding. Like I said, it's the picture of a river that's flowing. It reminds me of our relationship with Jesus. Jesus said at the woman at the well, she was just getting saved. He said, hey, can I have a drink of your water? And she said, uh, I'm not going to give you a drink. And he said, if you knew who I was, you'd ask a drink from me. You just ask a drink. And then he said, if you, if you get that drink, it just kind of starts with a drink. You kind of taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him, Psalm 34, 8. And you get a little bit of Jesus. And he said, out of your, out of your life would be a, a, a wellspring. It'd be like a spring, like a well. Water from the earth. A couple chapters later, though, Jesus said in John 7, it was the high holy day, and they were worshiping God in that way, and they were pouring out water on the foundation steps there at the temple. And Jesus says, out of your belly, if you believe in me, will flow torrents of living water. Here's the deal, Christian. If you don't want to be picked off by this world, and if you want to be fruitful to the people around you, you need to be rooted, built up, established in the faith, abounding with thanksgiving. Wouldn't that be rad if we just did that around Thanksgiving? And let's just be honest, how many of you guys right now have a to-do list that makes you kind of mad? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, me and Ryan. We've got a to-do list that makes us mad. You know, I see some stuff. i got people living in my house. A bunch of homeless people live in my house. They're my kids apparently too, but anyways. <laughs> ruining everything and ruining my carpet. And just making my, you know. That's one way to look at it. Or, or you can say, Lord, thank you for all you've done. Lord, thank you for all you're going to do. He tells us that's the way to not be picked off. Verse 8, he goes on to give us another warning. We're going to get through two more verses, guys, maybe three. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Stop right there, Isaiah. It's a big warning, but it goes in tandem with verse 4. Paul's not messing around. This is a polemic letter, a letter of argumentation and rescue. He's writing it from jail. He's been in prison for righteousness. And now he says, beware lest anyone cheat you through empty deceit and philosophy, according to the tradition of men. That word cheat you literally means take you captive to kill you. 
I just want to kind of put this out there just a little bit, and I hope you all know this, but the enemy of Jesus Christ is also the enemy of you. And any time that he desires to pick you off and to lead you astray and to deceive you, it's not just to cheat you, okay, that's bad enough, but it's to kill you, to steal, kill, and destroy. Every plague, every curse, every deception, every counterfeit, every temptation that the enemy brings your way, he has that singular in mind. Know this when you're discipling your kids, when they're looking at the ways of the world going, it's kind of shiny over there, Dad. It's kind of attractive over there. And, and, and my teacher taught me this at class today, and I'm just kind of wondering what's true. And know that on the end of that lure, on the end of that bait, is a hook that will lead you to death and destruction. Paul says, I want you to be warm. Read verse 8 again. Beware lest anyone cheats you through philosophy. Now, let me just get your attention. The word philosophy literally means lover of wisdom. Okay, how many of you guys think that's a good thing to love wisdom? Okay, it's a good thing. Okay, just don't, don't be... Philosophy in and of itself is not bad. As a matter of fact, all of the scriptures is a part of philosophy. Solomon's writing are philosophy. The Psalms are philosophy. The history books lead us to philosophy, understanding of God. And yet what God has presented, the devil has hijacked and taken to himself. And now we have what we call higher learning, higher academia, where men and women have taken the principles of God and then taken God out of those principles and distorted them and reframed them and repackaged them. And now they're full of empty deceit, vain traditions, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Now, I'm not going to take a deep dive too far, but I do want to touch on this, kind of explain what the signs in the pool say. He ends verse 8 saying this way. He says, and not according to Christ. And let's go ahead and have that be kind of our plumb line, if you would, our guiding light. If it doesn't line up with Christ, it's out of line. Amen? All kinds of philosophies in the world, all kinds of ideas, all kinds of agendas, all kinds of narratives that are being pro, uh, promoted all over the place. If it doesn't line up with Christ, eh, it's out of line. Now, how legalistic and exclusive does that sound? How intolerant does that sound? Very intolerant, because we live in a day and age that says all truth is true. You realize that? That actually is an oxymoron. It doesn't even work that way. It can't actually be true if it's contrasted with other truths. Something has to be untrue. Matter of fact, I posted on Facebook. Don't go look it up, please. But I posted on Facebook. Recently, I said, if it doesn't line up with Christ, it's out of line. And everyone on there, about 99% of the people said, amen, amen, that's true, amen. And then one person asked a question. They said, what if what you believe about Christ isn't what I believe about Christ? And I didn't bite on it. Maybe one of you guys will later today. Don't do it. But the answer came to my mind. If you read and I read, and we come up with different conclusions, okay, one of us is wrong. That's just the truth. One of us is wrong, dead wrong. And at that point, you have to ask yourself, who's wrong? How do I know that I'm right? How do I know that I'm going down the right, wrong, the right path here? And God has given to us the, the household of faith. He's given to us the historicity of the scriptures. He's given to us the understanding of his spirit in us. He's not left us to just make it up. You read your verse and I'll read my verse and we'll just come up with something, pick a path and see where it goes. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. There are vain traditions, philosophical ways of man that are designed to lead you away from Christ and allegiance to his kingdom and away from the mission that he's called us to. And I believe that God will give you the spirit of discernment if you would ask for it and say, Lord, give me discernment. Anybody, anybody afraid to make a mistake? Raise your hand if you're afraid to make a mistake. Man, I, I, I am. Okay, Lord, give me discernment. Help me to know what your word says and to know what it doesn't say. 
And this is called a progress. This is called where we walk together, where we ask the Lord, Lord, what do you say? His spirit will show you. This is where we read God's word and we see the best commentary on God's word is God's word. And if you have one crazy verse that you pick out of one crazy section, say, I saw a verse that said this, you know. Okay, well, you better have about a dozen other verses that prove that to be true. Otherwise, that's a verse taken out of context. And a verse taken out of context is just a con. He warns us. Now, let me just connect a couple dots here that I think are important for you to chew on over the holidays with your family so you guys can have really good fights. Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, and he says, be careful of the empty philosophies of man, the deceitful philosophies, the damaging, the death-bringing philosophies of man. Now, we don't necessarily know what philosophies they were dealing with. It's a worldly tradition, a worldly idea. Let me go ahead and summarize it. We don't necessarily know. Most believe it was Gnosticism, Okay, an early understanding of spirituality apart from Christ and his deity that was confusing the clear teachings of Jesus and what the church had believed. Most believe that the church at Colossae was being plagued and attacked with Gnosticism. Let me say it this way. Every single generation of mankind has some sort of heresy that is philosophy hijacked from people that don't want to bring you closer to Jesus but further away from Jesus. And every single generation has their own responsibility to then deal with what's being promoted in their culture. Do you know what our vain philosophy is in our culture. Recently, a study was done where 900,000 people were phone called randomly. Uh, 17,000 people actually answered the phone and called and talked to the person. Of those 17,000, only 1,000 people actually talked for 15 minutes. So out of 1,000 people, out of 17,000 people, out of 900,000 people, and the question on the table was, why don't you or why did you stop going to church? And the number one reason across the board for every single person that had that 15-minute conversation that said, yeah, I don't go to church anymore, why not? And here was the reason, intolerance. Intolerance, the church is too exclusive. See, the world we live in right now is speaking a philosophy of tolerance. That is, everything's okay, just keep it in your lane. Everything's okay. Who am I to tell you you're wrong? I have no right to tell you you're wrong. If you tell somebody they're wrong nowadays, you'll get canceled. As a matter of fact, if you told somebody they were wrong, and they would say, you telling me I'm wrong is unloving. And then you look at that person and say, but what if you're wrong? Then it is pure love. Because I don't want you to ruin your life. Now tolerance has changed in its interpretation. To tolerate somebody used to mean, I don't believe you're right, I believe you're wrong, but I'm still going to put up with you. That's what tolerate used to mean. You're wrong, but I'm going to put up with you, okay? Now, to tolerate people that are different than the way you think, or not even the way you think, because it's not about you, right? It's not about me and my opinion. It's about this book. People get mad at me from time to time about my opinion. It's not my opinion, you think I make this stuff up? Man, I'm just following my orders. And now if you are intolerant, it's actually been framed as hateful. As a matter of fact, to tolerate people now is not saying, I believe you are wrong, but I will put up with you. To tolerate people and that idea of tolerance for all, 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 all ideas Every activity, all lifestyles that the Bible speaks to our instruction and how we're to order ourselves. 
And yet now tolerance isn't just putting up with people, it's now affirming and celebrating and endorsing. Now, how much trouble is that going to get you in over the Thanksgiving break? See, people love God because he's loving, amen? And people, even outsiders, people who are non-believers, say, isn't your God loving? Why are you judging me? Love, love is one of God's greatest attributes, okay? And God is loving. But love also will tell you, will tell me when I'm about to hurt myself. We got lots of rules at my house, and you know why? Because I love my kids. I love them so much. And as life changes and as we navigate those rules change in order to express that love even better. We live, in a, we live in a society, we live in a culture right now where the world is trying to pick off Christians, baby Christians, young Christians. And it's, a ch- it's not easy, by the way. Because you're going to be labeled things that you're not. My kids and I were having this discussion about what God uh, calls for us to be as, as uh, men and women and the roles that God has assigned for men and women, for husbands and wives and how his order has been established. We were having this conversation a couple uh, years ago and I said, kids, because you believe what the Bible teaches about marriage, you're going to be labeled as hateful people. I say, now, do we hate people? No, we don't hate anybody. Just like Jesus, just like God, we love everyone just as they are. But we love them too much to tell them that they're okay when they're not okay. This is not going to be an easy stance moving forward, folks. This is going to be challenging. And the only way that you're going to keep your mind right, the only way you're going to keep your roots down, look at verses 9 and 10. We're going to end with this thought. He says, for in him, this is why it all goes back to Jesus Christ, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Stop right there. Eyes up here. Final thoughts. Paul is arguing that the church would stand strong, that the church would root down, that they would keep building, that they would be established in the faith, that they would be abounding in thanksgiving, that they wouldn't be picked off by all the ways of this world. Why? Because if the ways of this world lead you away from Jesus, you're going to dry up, you're going to die, because in him is the fullness of the Godhead, or the Godhead bodily. In him is everything that God sent in Jesus Christ. And I want to say this in closing. Everything you need right now is in the person of Jesus Christ. Every part of healing, every part of love, every part of acceptance, every part of strength, every part of peace. Every single thing you need right now is in Jesus Christ. The enemy's going to lie to you and say you're incomplete. Eh, not true. The enemy's going to lie to you and say you're less than. Eh, not true. The enemy's going to try and lure you into other lesser things. That's going to happen the rest of your life. And our challenge this Thanksgiving season is to be found full and whole in Jesus. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray and ask the Lord to anoint us in this battle moving forward. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name that indeed you are the author and finisher of our faith, that we can trust in you for all things, that you've gone before us, Lord, you've proven yourself to be true. You declared things, Lord, in such a way that people got saved, they got changed, they got healed, they got delivered, and were forever, Lord, different. And we pray in Jesus' name that your word would do that for us. And I pray for our young people right now who are being uh, fought over their hearts and their souls and their minds in a world that's gone mad, a world, Lord, that is anti-Christ, it's anti-God, it's anti-your kingdom. And I pray in Jesus' name our roots would grow down and we build ourselves up established in the faith. And we'd be abounding in thanksgiving. And give us that courage that Paul had to state the truth in love and to bear the consequences. I pray for moms and dads that they'd be anointed, Lord, and that they'd have words of truth to share with their daughters, to share with their sons. And that sons and daughters, Lord, of this generation would be raised up to know the truth and to bear fruit. 
And that, Lord, we'd continue to trust you and to hear your voice. Bless us this week in all that we do, Lord, and all that we put our hands to. Would you give us, Lord, your grace and mercy and help us to extend that to others freely. We ask all these, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen and amen. Amen.